You're listening to the Evanston Bible Fellowship Podcast. EBF is a community of sojourners empowering one another to cultivate gospel transformation. To learn more about our church, visit ebfchurch.org. Chapter 1, verses 16 through 20. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Welcome to everyone here and everyone joining us via the live stream. Uh, We're delighted to have you here on what we're calling Welcome Home Sunday. My name is Timothy Allen, and I have the privilege of serving here as our lead pastor and uh, our family, Danielle, myself, uh, Izzy, Sam, and one on the way who my son has named Lightning McQueen, uh, Lightning for short. Um, we've been here about a year, if you can believe that. So uh, we are just so thrilled to be able to be here today and to share more of the vision that we believe that God has given us as a church and one that lines up so much with what we hear in this passage in Mark chapter 1. So if you haven't turned to that passage, please do so already. We are in a series in the Gospel of Mark called Jesus the Servant King. And as we saw last week in Mark 1, verses 14 and 15, God's The gospel belongs to God. It is God's pervasive gospel that Jesus proclaims centers on the person of Jesus Christ, is summed up in the kingdom of God, and summons us to repent and believe the gospel. And what we find here then in verses 16 through 20, following right on the heels of of that call, that call to repent and believe, Mark gives us a stirring example of how some people did exactly just that, how they responded to this call in a life of discipleship. They responded by following Jesus. And so, would you join me in a word of prayer as we dive in this morning? Our Father, we praise you for your words of truth. We pray that you might use your word to capture our hearts, illumine illumine us, Lord, encourage our faith, keep us even that much more rooted and built up in you. And Father, would we hear and heed your call through the gospel of Mark to follow you in the costly way. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. A compelling vision, a few dedicated people, and a great leader. Daniel Aiken points out that these are three key ingredients, really, that lead to the, the growth and the flourishing of really any organization. And perhaps you've been a part of one in the past that had these key elements. What I believe is that God weaves these very elements together here in Mark 1, 16 through 20. 
the compelling vision that Jesus gives us is, come, follow me, and I will send you out to fish for people. The few dedicated people are his followers. Here, the initial ones that join the ranks of, of Jesus' growing band of Christ's followers, that of Peter, Andrew, James, and John. And then a great leader. Yes, the greatest leader there is. As Mark introduces us in the beginning of his gospel, Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. Jesus, the Messiah. These elements, I believe, are woven together in Mark 1, 16 through 20. And what we're going to do is start by exploring the story that is found here and the call of these, these two pairs of brothers, two pairs of brothers. And then we're going to follow that by looking at three aspects of Jesus' call, Jesus' call to follow him. So let's pick up the story here in verse 16. We heard these words read already, but let's read it once more. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. The kingdom of God that is announced by Jesus in verses 14 and 15 do not come with parades. They do not, it does not come in palaces but through the gradual gathering of Jesus' followers beginning in this remote province of Galilee, by the lake. It's called the Sea of Galilee, and it was home to a thriving fishing industry. And at, by some 13 miles by 8 miles, perhaps the Lake of Galilee might be a better description. It reminds me actually of this, there's a town near where we came from in Colorado called Palmer Lake, it should probably be called Palmer Puddle, uh, maybe even, or Palmer Pond, I guess, became Palmer Puddle, and then at one point even dried up before revitalizing. But to give you an idea, Lake Michigan is 307 miles long by 118 miles wide. So the Sea of Galilee, or maybe the Lake of Galilee, it's a little smaller. But according to John 1, 35 through 42, this was probably not the first interaction that Jesus had with Simon Peter and Andrew. And yet Jesus went to where they were. And I love how the text emphasizes that he saw them. He, he observed them going about their trade as fishermen. He went to where they were, and he saw them there by the lake. And the way that they fished was by, if you can picture this, by gathering up this giant round about 20 feet wide net and casting it into the water, this net having weights of metal or of stone that would then fall to the floor and to gather fish into that round net, like a parachute sinking to the bottom and trapping the fish before then being gathered back up. And as they went about repeatedly casting these nets from the sides of the boat, Jesus called to them with what had to have been some sort of sharp enough command that they were able to hear him from the seashore. In the military, we call this a, using your command voice. Using your command voice. I'm sure I can only imagine Jesus calling to them in a way that pierced through their, what they were doing, that, that called them to attention. And what does he say? Come follow me. 
and I will send you out to fish for people. The call to follow Jesus is at the heart of discipleship in the New Testament. And what it involves is a, a total and a continuous commitment that renders all other ties secondary. This word for follow essentially means to move behind someone in the same direction. It's used here metaphorically to describe this journey, this way of discipleship with our Savior. And what is particularly striking is that Jesus calls people to follow him. The prophets in the Old Testament called people to follow God. The rabbis here in the first century time, they were not the ones that would approach disciples or pupils. It was the responsibility of the, of the disciple to seek out their rabbi and to request if they could have access to that particular teacher, if they could follow that teacher. No. What does Jesus do? Jesus authoritatively called Simon and Andrew in such a way that their lives would never be the same. And the call to follow Jesus also means sharing in Jesus' own mission. He says, I will send you out to fish for people. I love how Jesus taps into their background. He taps into the trade that they use, but he, he changes it. He changes their focus from fish. The notion of fishing for people actually has a, a rich old Passages like Jeremiah 16. Hunters call people back to God, call people who have been pursuing idols and have faced judgment as a result of that. They, these fishers and these hunters call people back to God, setting, really planting the seeds for this image that we see in the New Testament. And here Jesus uses fishing for people as a way of essentially winning them to his kingdom rescuing them, and changing them forever. Well, his authoritative call is met with immediate obedience, obedience without reservation of any kind. As Peter says later in Mark 10, 28, we have left everything to follow you. And I believe Mark wants us to understand the weight and the effectiveness of Jesus' call. He chooses whom he wills and commands as God commands. As we heard in Psalm 33 during our call to worship, Psalm 33 verse 9 displays God's creative word. It says, for he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. Jesus speaks and things happen. He speaks and things happen. Well, the call to follow Jesus is not an isolated call involving individuals alone. No, it is a call to become a part of a community of disciples. And so there is a second pair of brothers that he invites next. Look at the second pair of brothers in verses 19 through 20. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. You know, these brothers here are identified with their father's name, Zebedee, and came to be called later, as we'll see in Mark, Sons of Thunder. How do you get a nickname 
like that. Sons of thunder. Later we find in chapter 10, we find them actually jockeying for position within God's very kingdom. But along with Peter, these two would become part of the the inner circle of Jesus' disciples, Peter, James, and John. And he, Jesus invites these three into some very, very personal moments, critical moments in his ministry, times like when he raises Jairus' daughter from the dead, at the transfiguration, for instance, and even when he invites them along to be with him in the Garden of Gethsemane preparing for the hour of suffering. This is a, maybe a side note here, but I found myself wondering, because we have these two pairs of brothers, like, what happened to Andrew? How come he didn't make the inner circle of, the, of Peter, James, and John? And I, I don't know the answer to that necessarily, but there are actually examples in Mark's gospel of Andrew being right there alongside them. For instance, going to Simon and Andrew's home. Jesus goes there, as well as there's a moment at which he during which he explains the meaning of a particular parable more clearly to to Simon, Andrew, as well as James and John. But here they are in their boat, preparing their nets, when verse 20, without delay, he called them. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. This time in Mark's narrative, immediately, is not applied to their response as it is to Jesus' call. It says, without delay, another way of translating, immediately he called them. But guess what? Their response is immediate as well. They followed him. Craig Keener points out that many Jewish teachers in Jesus' day felt that the greatest commandment was to honor one's parents. And so to abruptly leave behind one's family and the family business was a great sacrifice that went against everything the culture taught. Not only the family, but the family business as well. This also challenges the common assumption that Jesus' followers all came from the lowest level of society. At least two of them here came from a family that also could hire workers to assist them in their fishing trade. Well, they left their family, they left their family business to follow Jesus. And in the case of James, we find him following Jesus as Acts, the book of Acts points to, following Jesus all the way to his very martyrdom, giving his life because of his faith in Jesus Christ. Mark 3, 14 points then to this collection, this bringing together of the 12 disciples that Jesus appointed. It says, he appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach. That they might be with him come follow me, and then he might send them out. I will make you fishers of people. From this point until the scene in the Garden of of Gethsemane, Jesus constantly has the disciples with him. They are sitting at his feet. They are hearing his teachings. They are asking him questions. They are following him, journeying with him, not only in Galilee, but then on his way to Jerusalem, and then at the very end. Well, Jesus authoritatively calls the first disciples to follow him in community and to participate in his mission. And they responded to his command, formed the core of his disciples, and their lives were transformed forever. And so, church, I believe the bottom line 
for us as well is that like the first disciples, Jesus authoritatively calls us to follow him in community and to participate in his mission. In telling the story, I believe Mark wanted his readers to see how they were to find themselves in this story, that they, are too, they too are called by Jesus following this same command, and so are we today. We are called by Jesus, who authoritatively calls us to follow him in the context of community, among the community of disciples, and then to participate in Jesus' same mission, to participate in the mission of God and welcoming others into his very kingdom. I believe that there are at least three aspects of this call. We could explore this forever, but at least three that I want to draw our attention to here as we consider this by way of, by way of takeaways for us. The first is this. Jesus clearly and authoritatively calls people to himself. The summons to repent and believe in verses 14 and 15 is followed immediately by the call to leave everything and follow Jesus, implying that this is not, this call to repentance and faith is not a flash in the pan. It's not something that has to spring up overnight and then to disappear as if nothing ever happened. But no, it is a call to repentance and faith and to follow Jesus over a lifetime of discipleship, walking in the ways of our Master and our Savior. They did not search for him. He found them. And Jesus meets you where you are. He sees you, even when you feel unseen, unnoticed, forgotten. He sees you in the quiet vocation of the everyday. And he calls ordinary people not the most prominent, perhaps, not the most highly trained, not the most religiously devout. He did not go and gather them in the synagogue, but while passing by in the midst of everyday life. And his command pierced their hearts. It shattered their routines. Jesus speaks and things happen. We will see this again and again in Mark's gospel. Jesus speaks be quiet, come out of him, and the demons flee. Jesus speaks, quiet, be still, and the storm stops. It ceases, it's raging. And Jesus speaks, Talitha, kum, it's Aramaic, for little girl, arise, and what happens? The dead are raised. Jesus speaks, and things happen. And Jesus continues to speak to us today. He Second, Jesus calls people to follow him among a community of fellow disciples. Calls people to follow him among a community of fellow disciples. This was a radical departure and a new beginning. But notice that they weren't required to do anything beforehand. There was no entrance exam. Praise God. Can I get an amen on that? There was no entrance exam. All they needed was found in following Jesus. And they responded promptly and completely. They left their families, their security, and their livelihood to follow him 
And it was rather than attending some sets of seminars or batting around some theoretical ideas. No, they followed him, a person. Dexter Mabin is a scholar from India whose writings I have just so come to appreciate. Writes, following Jesus is the key to discipleship in Mark's gospel. It means accepting Jesus as leader, recognizing his authority, sharing his vision, and following his words and ways. The call of the four fishermen, and yes, even the eventual gathering of the 12 disciples, reminds us that Jesus was forming a community. He was forming a community of disciples who sat at his feet together. They learned his ways. They journeyed with him and often received additional teaching or explanation about certain parables, certain things that Jesus taught. And Jesus continues to build a community of disciples today in and through his church. Third, third aspect here. Jesus calls people to participate in his mission of drawing people into his kingdom. It is a call to service. Come, follow me, and I will send you out to fish for people. Jesus expands his kingdom through flawed people like you and me who are deployed to participate in the very reason he was sent in the first place. Remember, the kind of fishing the disciples did was not the leisurely casting of a single line and lure waiting for fish to bite. That's maybe an assumption that we sometimes bring to the text when we're thinking about this image of fishing. No. It involved, think about that that giant circular net. It involved long hours. It involved casting a wide net, strenuous work, and often, often with little results. And so it is with sharing God's gospel today. It is hard work. It requires persistence and dedication. But the value of the catch is infinite in God's sight. We cannot simply hang out a sign, put out a sign that says, fish wanted, please enter net. No, it doesn't work that way. You catch even in that the absurdity of that image. Nor can we stay in the relative safety of the harbor. No, we must go to where people are. We must be willing to voyage into turbulent waters at times and to cast, yes, to cast a wide net, seeing who God is already at work in drawing to himself. If I had to summarize these three aspects of Jesus' call, I believe it is all about Jesus, community, and mission. Jesus, community, and mission. I I had my own heart and imagination captured by this when I was listening to a podcast called You're Not Crazy, which is aimed at pastors. Anyone really is, is welcome to listen to it. You're Not Crazy through the Gospel Coalition. It's really captured by this idea of what a flourishing gospel community looks like in any local church body. And I believe it is about Jesus, community, and mission. In Jesus' first act of public ministry, where he called four fishermen into community and prepared to send them out on mission, 
I believe that what Jesus did here is he planted the seeds for his church. And this flows into what we believe is the vision that God has called our church to pursue together in community. You know, the vision, this vision that we were able to share a few months ago with more of our members and are excited to be able to share with us more broadly this day has come about through much prayer, through seeking God in the word together, through gathering with our fellow elders and seeking God's face, as well as then gaining input from fellow leaders, members alike. Thank you for journeying with us as we have honed and shaped this, and I know that God's, God's not done yet. In fact, there might be some ideas, there might be the idea present among us right now that will help us to even more live out the mission that we believe, or the vision that God is calling us to. But I also want to say that our heart is to move to a more long-term approach to vision. Rather than vision being something that is shared only on a yearly basis, that this vision we see here is not necessarily time-bound, but is something that we believe God is calling us to for a season together. And that vision that we believe God has placed on our heart, that he has called us to for this season, is found in that simple phrase, welcome home. Welcome home. That phrase really can be understood in three different ways. First, it is a statement of embrace by our Savior, who first says to you and to me, welcome home. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Second, it is a description of our church as a welcome and inviting home. And third, it is a call to then action. It is a call to welcome home others who are weary and burdened in this time. Three words. Jesus. Community. Mission. Jesus. Community. Mission. I want to break this down a little bit more. First, let us keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, who first says to us, welcome home. He found us. He saw us. And when we were far off, he drew us to himself. This whole, this beautiful image of, of the church as a home is, leaps off the pages from the New Testament. We see this in Ephesians 2, 19 through 22. And it says, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Did you catch that? Jesus is our cornerstone. The foundation includes the apostles. Yes, the ones we read here it includes Peter and Andrew. James and John are part of our foundation. And according to 1 Peter 2, verse 5, we are like living stones in the building, in, in the house that God is building for his glory. We, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, 
offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So let us keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, who first declares to us, declares to you and to me, welcome home. As we sing, in the arms of our dear Savior, oh, there are 10,000 charms. Second, our heart is to become a more welcome and inviting home as a community of disciples. To become a more welcome and inviting home. John 13, 34 through 35 says, and Jesus, Jesus says these words, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. If you love one another. This has both, this notion of becoming a more welcome and inviting home has both a collective aspect to it as well as individual. Collectively, our heart is to be a family of invested sojourners together who embody our ethos of humble orthodoxy, worshipful vitality, missional community, and gospel centrality. And individually, our heart is to demonstrate Christ's same concern for the well-being of the whole person to demonstrate Christ's same concern for what we might call whole life discipleship. We see at least, at least 10 interconnected dimensions of what, it, of what this means, whole life discipleship. The spiritual, the physical, the emotional, the relational, the mental, financial, vocational, intellectual, environmental, and cultural. Picture, if you will, a pie with pie wedges, or maybe even, I know this is a, maybe a little bit of a dated game, but how many have played Trivial Pursuit back in the day? Yeah, you think of that, that, uh, that game piece and you, where you collect the wedges of the pie. That's, in a lot of ways, what this is like. These combined together, these dimensions of whole life discipleship, are really about the combined well-being of the whole person. And that is what Jesus sought. In a word, shalom. Shalom, peace. And so under this notion of our church becoming a more welcome and inviting home, our elders here believe that God has called us to three priorities in this particular season. The relational, the mental, and the cultural. The relational involves our relationships, the connections that we have, how we interact with others. And so things like cultivating Christ-like dialogue among our church family. Being trained in how to handle conflict in a biblical way. How to disagree with one another without being disagreeable. Oh, what an art form. Something we desperately need, not only in, our, in churches like ours, but in this day and age, especially. The relational, yes, the mental. This is something that has definitely arisen more within the last year and year plus. People are struggling. I understand that. We believe that God is calling us to prioritize this dimension of whole life discipleship, equipping one another to notice the, the warning signs to be able to respond kind of like in a first aid sort of way, not as 
experts, but be willing to ask the hard questions and to step in to people's lives and also to see and to build resiliency among each person that is a part of our church. The relational, the mental, and the cultural. The cultural dimension involves becoming more aware of the stories and the experiences of people from different backgrounds, people from different walks of life, especially that are within our community of disciples. And so some of the ways we see living this out is by providing more biblical teaching on the multi-ethnic people of God, by by engaging in table fellowship with people from different cultures within our family. And yes, by understanding and celebrating God's own design for unity and diversity. God's own design. Third, our heart is to welcome the weary and burdened home. Again, remember the action call way of reading this phrase, welcome home. Our heart is to welcome home the weary and burdened as, part, as we participate in the mission of God. Matthew 11, we heard these words already. Matthew 11, 28 through 30. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Church, we envision a community of invested sojourners where everyone is mobilized to proclaim and to practice the gospel here in the Evanston area at Northwestern and beyond. Think about Acts 1-8, that image that we are given in Scripture of the outward rings, the ever-expanding concentric circles as the gospel went from the the local to the regional to the global. Our heart is to get people off the sideline and on mission together as, be, as we bear witness to the gospel in word and deed. Think about a football team. Think about a football game. Think about this image here. You have 22 people that are in desperate need of rest and 50,000 people that are in desperate need of exercise. No, our heart is to get everyone off the sidelines and on mission together and in aiming to reach all people. Our desire is to reflect more of the Evanston community around us as well as the heavenly community that is ahead of us. To see a church like ours to look more like the community in Antioch in Acts 13. And with God's help and the Spirit's power, we long to see generations of disciple-makers raised up, of leaders developed, and churches planted for the glory of God. Another image that comes to mind is think about an ever-expanding family tree. And that is our heart for EBF, an ever-expanding family tree. We want to see a movement of disciple-makers, not just here, but across the world, knowing that this church often, this church very much is a sending church. We deploy our dear ones to serve God as extensions of the kingdom in other parts of the world. And so we envision an ever-expanding family tree, not only in this community, but across the world. We believe God is calling us to three priorities under welcoming people home in this season. They are this. The first priority is developing more of a welcoming culture in our church. This, this, is, this is 
This involves our services, certainly all ages, all backgrounds. But it's not just our services. It's actually things like extending hospitality within our neighborhoods, within our communities, within our schools, our workplaces. Developing more of a welcoming culture. Second priority, equipping everyone with disciple-making training and moving out on mission together. I believe that there is inspiration to be gleaned from the global church, the ways in which disciple-making movements are springing up, especially among, uh, among the former Muslim world. I believe God is calling us to a unified approach to disciple-making and, yes, holding one another accountable as we move out on mission. And third priority, mobilizing everyone to love and serve the local community. Love and serve the local community. Historically at EBF, this has meant serving the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow. The foreigner through refugee ministries, the fatherless through adoption and foster care, and the widow through vulnerable elderly within our community. And yes, we want to continue doing exactly that. And yet there may be new wineskins, there may be new areas that God would call us as a church to respond to. It could be addressing issues within our community like affordable housing. There might be ideas that you are having even right now that we need to hear, that we need to wrestle with in community together as we further dial in what our unique kingdom impact will be here in, Ev in Evanston and beyond. So developing more of a welcoming culture, equipping everyone with disciple-making training, and mobilizing everyone to love and serve the local community. I know I'm flying through this, and there are so many, so many other things I'd love to say, but if we had to put this all together, I believe our vision, this Welcome Home vision, is all about Jesus, community, and mission. Jesus, community, and mission. Jesus, our Messiah. The community of disciples and the mission of God. And so my challenge for us as we move forward from this place is first and, and, and foremost to commit this vision to prayer. This is not something that we can accomplish. This God-sized vision cannot be accomplished by ourselves. No, we need God. We would love your ideas. You might have ideas to bring to the table that we would love to hear as we further live out this vision. It could mean joining, identifying in this local body and going through membership, saying, yes, I want to be a part of living out this vision here in Evanston and beyond. And whether, whether you, this is your first Sunday, whether you've been here a little while, whether you've been here years, we would love for you to be a part of living out this vision, this vision of welcome home. So EBF family, Welcome home. Remember those words of our dear Savior who first said to us, welcome home. May our church become a more welcome and inviting home as a community of disciples. That we would be known for our love for one another. And yes, would we be a church that goes to welcome home those who are weary and burdened in this time those that are disillusioned, those who are disconnected, those who may be discovering Jesus for the very first time. Church, welcome home. Let's pray and commit this vision to prayer.
Our Father, we look to you in this time and we pray that you would indeed keep us centered, that you would keep our eyes fixed on our Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus, we praise you for first welcoming us with open arms, for declaring to us, welcome home. And Father, we pray that as a community of disciples, we would become a more welcome and inviting home that demonstrates your same concern for the whole person, for every aspect of our lives. Lord, would it be given over to you and following you in the costly way. And yes, Father, we pray that as participants in your mission, you would send us out. You would send us out to welcome home those who are weary, those who are disillusioned, those who are burdened. Father, enable us to bear witness to your gospel, both in word and deed, and to do so among all people, everyone that you bring us into contact with. Lord, we ask for the accomplishment of this vision, recognizing that it is beyond anything that any one of us can do by ourselves. So, Lord, we love you. We thank you. We pray this in Jesus' precious and matchless name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. To hear more messages from EBF, subscribe to our podcast. And to find out how to get connected with our church, visit ebfchurch.org.